God, I love this color on me. Red rum. What? That's what it's called. They say women are more likely to buy a lipstick if it's named after food or sex. Just think about it. Black honey, plum passion, peachy keen, pink pussy. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? What would your lipstick be called? Fuck off. Act. What about you? What about me? Are you food? Or are you sex? She's dessert. Because she's so sweet. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck like that one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number Blink 182, Whoa. The Neon Demon. Who would have thought that we would ever get to 182 episodes? Yeah, wow. We're back to that. This should be a very sunny episode. A lot of fun. <laughs> a movie I'm sure plenty of people have seen. Uh, I think... <laughs> made like three million at the box office yeah, was we saw hit. it we saw it in the theater though yeah and it was only playing at like one theater around here and we had to drive like 40 minutes to go see it it's but crazy it was worth it yeah i mean we do see a shitload of movies in the theater but this is one that was memorable to me <laughs> i guess like this is not a movie that you walk away feeling unfazed by yeah i would say that regardless of what your overall opinion of the movie is if you've seen it from beginning to end you, you certainly have a feeling about yeah, it you will have a reaction i know we saw it at the distinta or whatever uh yeah. or the phoenix but i was trying to remember if this was one of the times that we were like getting drinks in their little bar area before the movie i don't know i well, think I we, we did, did that, that for a, pitch a perfect times. too okay <laughs> but that was probably close to one of the last times we were out at that theater right certainly for you yeah the, I think I went one extra time later on to see that sequel to The Strangers. Yes. The Strangers. Okay, wow. Night. That oh, was the last wow. time I was okay. out there, I think. All right. Yeah, much more recently then. Yeah. yeah. Maybe like a year okay. after or something. All right. So, yeah, 2016, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. This would be our second Refn movie. We did Drive yeah. way back in the day. Yeah, really, like, not a lot of optimism coming out of his movies i would say it feels like it's pretty cynical towards human beings there's not a lot of like good characters in his movies and when i say good i mean like morally yeah he certainly has a style he's 
one of the few working auteurs where that's true you certainly can tell when he's making it yeah he almost especially starting with drive yeah he has like a stylized bleakness i would say yeah and continuing onward through only god forgives yeah the neon demon and then last year his (laughs) bizarre show on amazon prime that got almost no attention or publicity and just sort of came out which was too old to die young right and it's kind of the same thing i think the neon demon and drive are like his two more successful ventures in this thing where he's able to combine this aesthetic that he's going for with something that pays off yeah i think only god forgives it's hard to really say that that pays off in any kind of way for me and too old to die young starts out great and there are parts of it that were among my favorite things that i saw last year tv show or movie agreed there was good stuff but it sort of like sputters out for the last couple episodes and it it's unclear why it needed to be that long if that's what the ending was yeah. like it just it sort of ran out of momentum by the end but neon demon was my favorite movie of 2016 <laughs> which i did say on this podcast yeah, yeah, we were doing sure. best ofs at that point so it's not like it's a big secret i think it probably says something about me and where i'm at mentally that yeah. this is my favorite movie of a given year well i mean listen <laughs> he does good stuff you can't deny the talent his movies definitely have an impact but it is like boy are they devoid of any joy yeah i think there's a lot going on in this movie i think there's a lot of things to think about and consider and there's essentially a straightforward way of viewing it in a more metaphorical way of viewing it and the straightforward way is the weirder way yeah okay the metaphorical way is like it's a metaphor for her losing herself in the industry. Yeah. The literal way is she gets eaten by witches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's like the the straightforward way right. is the fucked up way. Yeah, which the metaphorical way is like this is all like based off of what really happens to young girls yeah. sucked up into this bleak industry of fashion modeling. True. And how horrible these people are. <laughs> yeah, and I do like it. When I was watching this, I was trying to like look at different scenes from more of the metaphorical gaze. But it is weird. There's some things I want to dig into just from the straightforward viewing. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what is going on and what is the full history here with some of these characters? Before we jump into the Neon Demon, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. And to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podbean and tell everyone you know about the show. We're back. That's right. As long uh, as we can, we're going to keep recording and, you know, we're up and running, I guess. Hey, the ass clowns are a buzz again. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten some text messages. People are, uh, I'm telling you, people were in on the fear episode. Yes. The fear episode went great. The Say by the Bell Hawaiian style episode, less great, but yeah. we got through it. Well, sometimes you get out of the gate, start strong, and then, you know, you hit a, like a, and so everyone a will rock be super or something and fall on your face. Yeah. With Neon Demon and the other one that we're recording today. Really? Yeah. Two big fan favorites. So the Neon Demon was co-written by Refn with two women, Mary Laws and Polly Stenham, who I think is like a playwright, because Refn admittedly said that he wasn't sure that he could write female characters that well 
and so he brought on two women to co-write this with him. Yeah. This movie is mostly about the female characters and the men characters. Refn was like treating them as like plot devices rather than yeah. fully fledged characters because he felt like that's the inverse of what happens a lot of times in men focused movies where the girlfriends are just sort of like plot devices and just yeah window dressing. The male characters in this movie definitely seem scary and cold, but boy do they pale in comparison to the females. Yeah, I think there's like an intentional subversion of expectations and it's setting you up to think certain things that just never happen. Right, yeah. And to keep you off guard, I guess, about where the story's going to go. The Neon Demon stars Elle Fanning, Carl Glussman, Jenna Malone, Abby Lee, Bella Heathcote, amongst others. Very polarizing movie. <laughs> it's a movie that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival to a mix of standing ovation and booze, <laughs> which is always great. Yeah, yeah. I love the the mix of the two. I don't think that Refn actively courts controversy and revulsion the same way that like Gaspar Noe and Lars Van Trier right. do. Yeah, he's not really like that kind of a provocateur, and I think he actually gets upset when people boo and don't like it. I think he uh, there's like some sort of a documentary about him that he and his wife made and he was like yeah. really bummed out about the reception to Only God Forgives. So it's not like he's actively trying to upset everyone right. like Lars Van Trier. Yeah, well, and I think at the end of this movie, does, isn't there like a note that this is for his wife or something? Yeah, and I don't think she really likes a lot of his movies, <laughs> I think is part of it. Oh, gotcha. It's supposed to be an adult fairy tale set in LA, the world of fashion models, heavily influenced by the story of Elizabeth Bathory, which we'll kind of get into more one of the more famous female killers or villains in, throughout history. There's also a lot in the movie about the occult and a lot of symbolism and sort of the dark dead end of the idea of beauty is the only thing, which one of the characters says at one point yeah. during the movie. And how that mindset leads to only one real logical conclusion which is like the disposal of people past a certain age and it, and how a significant part of the population matt and myself included would never be a part of this to begin with <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a certain amount of people that are always on the outside right and then even if you get on the inside it's this losing game it's like you can't stay in it forever and each of the characters represents all of these different things. Yeah. We'll get into more of the difference between Abby Lee's character and Bella Heathcote's character and how they represent like two different things and all that stuff. But really it's it's something that seems obvious when you think about the fashion industry and like beauty and modeling and sort of the vapid nature of it but it's taking it to more of like a darker thing yeah than just oh how shitty are these people it's more horrific yes and refin definitely uh pushes the envelope with that i would say the first half of the movie is exciting it's like kind of suspenseful there's still a lot of darkness there but it feels mostly palatable even for mainstream audiences 
Yeah, that's the part that involves the male characters, yeah. and it's setting you up to think of, like you would know where the the danger is, right? And then the subversion Oof. of where the danger is is yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> Once you get a glimpse at one of the characters who seemed kind throughout, and something that she enjoys to do as a hobby uh, <laughs> at her second job, <laughs> you're like, oh boy. Yeah, we'll get to that. Lake Drive. And Too Old to Die Young and Only God Forgives and some of this other work by Refn. There's definitely an emphasis on the aesthetics and the visuals over dialogue or character development or other traditional storytelling methods. So that right there is going to put off a certain amount of the audience. Yeah. I think Drive was my favorite movie of the decade when we did the best of the decade, which... I don't know if it still would be now post Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, okay, but yeah. it certainly was a huge thing for me. It was my favorite movie of that year, which was like, what, 2011, I think. I remember seeing that in the theater, and there was definitely like uneasiness amongst some of the audience who was there because it was starring Ryan Gosling, and it was opening on a Friday night, and it looked yeah. like an action movie. And people were kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, no one is talking. <laughs> you know, like, long stretches um, of silence. Yeah. And people were just like, what is this? And I, of course, was loving it. But you know that, like, right off the bat, a certain percentage of your movie going public is just going to be, like, not on board for stuff like this. It's yeah. way too artsy. <laughs> Yeah, I I think from an atmosphere perspective, that's definitely still my favorite of anything he's done. Like, I I love the look of it. The score is awesome. I think for this movie, too, I really like the score. For some reason, it feels to me like over time, the look of his movies, it feels less real to me. Like, they almost look cartoony or something. Yeah, he has, like, a lot of obsession with color because yeah. he himself is colorblind okay yeah so i think he like over does it a lot of times and is really trying to like the beginning of too old to die young it's almost like he's trying to like make photographs or or paintings or something because like right. the characters just like aren't moving yeah, at yeah. all right. it's like it's so slow and deliberate to the point of like it's like amplifying what he was doing in these earlier things like by 10. But yeah, I mean with drive, even though I think the novel that drive is based on is kind of like this paper thin shitty little thing. It still had like a beginning, middle and end. And so he projected like his style onto a ready-made story. Yeah. Whereas something like only God forgives, is just like this meandering thing where you're like, what is this about? <laughs> like, I'm trying to figure out what the fuck's going on yeah, half the time. Like, Who are you supposed to be most against on this show? Cause it doesn't feel like you're supposed to be for anyone. Yeah. And it just sort of spirals into nothing, which is kind of what happens by the end of too old to die young. Yeah. I think him bringing in those other writers to help on this one helped keep it grounded in something where it just didn't spiral too far into a point where the audience just can't care at all about it. Right. It's still hard to really yeah, be invested in the ending because well, part of the whole story is Elle Fanning's character Jesse giving into the Neon Demon, which I mean we can talk about what we think the Neon Demon is, but I think like a big part of it is like narcissism. Yes. And her giving into that makes her unlikable at the very end of her life and so you're like are we supposed to be upset that she is dead or what like (laughs) well i know 
Like, uh, we, I don't know what they're what you're supposed has, to like, feel at that point. She has like her heel turn and then is killed. <laughs> it's like okay, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I guess like we're not really calling it out directly, although we did, I believe, on the drive episode. I mean, one of the things that is consistent through these movies is the the violence is like pretty graphic. Yeah, and it builds towards it. Like it's not it's not graphic throughout, which right. makes it more shocking. It's it it sort of comes out of nowhere. I actually think in this there's some super gross shit, but. There could have been yeah, yeah. some way worse stuff. I almost th- I think Only God Forgives is pretty brutal when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. And I think another big thing about the Neon Demon, of course, is predators and prey. And yeah, who absolutely. Is who. Yes. And there's a lot of predator symbolism throughout. There's different types of predators, and, and we'll sort of talk about that as we go through the male characters yeah, as yeah. we go. and And how they are all different from... The apex predators, which of course turns out to be who we're not expecting, this idea of a contract between Jesse and these other people, and the idea of in this world you can either be food or sex, and if you turn down the sex, that that automatically makes you food. <laughs> it's weird when you look at it now in a post like Me Too world. And you kind of ignore the fact that the main villains in this happen to be women because that's irrelevant. You just think of it as like the people in charge or the people who have power or control. And this idea of if you want to be let in with us, you will be sex. And when she's like resistant to that, then she becomes consumed by this industry and sort of spit out literally in the movie but like metaphorically in yeah right the real world and i i do think that there you could kind of project a little bit of that idea onto that like this naive person yeah who has something of value which is her beauty and what other people are willing to do to get a piece of that and by a piece of that that could mean like sexual gratification in the character of ruby or quite literally stealing it, like an essence or like something that you could drink or bathe in to get power Yikes. from. Yes. Like the other two, Sarah and Gigi. And I have some like interesting thoughts about Gigi when we get to the end and trying to figure out what exactly that all meant at the end of the movie. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's one of the other like shocking things. It's like it shocks you with what you think is the ending, right. and then it gives you that extra ending where you're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And what was great, I, we could talk about it at the very end, but I, I loved how, like, cold and sort of, yeah, absolutely horrifically shocking the ending is. And then it just goes into the credits of A Girl in the Desert, and that Sia song was just blasting. Yeah, and, I'm like, and I don't really know what that means. And I think it's <laughs> like, it looks like Sarah from behind. But you don't know. But yeah, yeah. they never you never see her face, and so you're not really sure what that's supposed to mean. But I remember, like, walking out after being, like, completely shocked, but also being like, I kind of like this song. <laughs> yeah. I got the 4K Ultra HD like imported because that's like region free. So I was able to watch the 4K version. And I noticed like some details that I never really noticed before in the theater and on like Blu-ray. And one of the details is at the end with Sarah and like eating the eyeball and everything which we'll get to that <laughs> people haven't seen this movie like what <laughs> well they probably we've, already shut yeah, it off I mean, we've given away a lot already but uh 
Okay, so yeah, we'll just talk about this stuff as we go. So the yeah. opening shot is our introduction to the the two sides of a coin that Refn kind of comes back to at various points throughout the movie. Yeah. Which is beauty and death, like, being one of the same thing. Right. Because Jesse, played by Elle Fanning, is doing her fo- first photo shoot in L.A. She's being posed in this like hyper stylized way where it looks like she has her neck slit, which if you haven't seen this, this sounds even more insane than it actually is because it is very like artsy and the blood is more like pink and sparkly. Yeah, it doesn't look real. Yeah, it's definitely, it's this super stylized thing, but it still is supposed to be like her throat is slit and she's like laying on a couch dead. (laughs) And that's how she's being photographed. And I think beauty and death are two things that people obsess over a lot and are two things that sort of haunt the neon demon throughout right i'm not really sure of all of the points that are trying to be made by those two but i definitely think that that's like recurring ideas well you know and it starts us off confronting it right away i've read some stuff about nicholas winding Refn and some interviews with him and stuff and it definitely seems like he's a pretty big david lynch fan Someone who we reference a lot on this Yeah, I think show. people who don't like Ruffin say that he's like a half-rate Lynch. And I mean, I think there's definitely influence there. But yeah. the, I think the end results are like a lot different. Oh, agreed. Agreed. But I, w- where I was going with it is it feels to me like the Nicholas Winding Refn movie inside of Blue Velvet is like if you just hung out with like Frank's crew all the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. No Jeffrey Beaumont that had like some different I, Yeah, I do think that Lynch manages a lot of times to give us redeemable people yeah not necessarily in everything that he's ever done True. but in a lot of the stuff there are people that are supposed to be the heart of the thing yeah yeah and we're supposed to relate to those people and to kind of balance them against like the sort of madness yeah of like a frank or something right and yeah Refn doesn't always go that way because at the end of the day i think we're supposed to be sympathetic a little bit to jesse by the end of the movie but like she gets sucked into this world that's sort of a lot of people are all sort of contributing to make sure that this world keeps running yeah i i think there's supposed to be sympathy but at the same time she's not necessarily as innocent as we would like for these type of characters well and even she feels cold even when she's like good before she's crossed over to the dark side i feel like there's a coldness there so jesse models this and this guy dean played by carl glussman he photographs and you could look at this as a fake out because if you don't really know what's happening you could think that like it's starting with her dead it's actually foreshadowing sort of where we're headed visually yeah over time, it will be revealed to us that Jesse is only 16 years old, recently orphaned, and is new to Los Angeles from small town Georgia to pursue modeling. Yeah. And um, that'll be like a big emphasis is her being, quote, new in town. Right. There is this idea that Jesse ain't the first one. There's a fresh crop of... No, no. Misfit. And that's that's definitely symbolized quite literally yeah. in a disturbing moment at the end of the movie where you could look at it like a character's like expelling oh boy her (laughs) (laughs) let's just say it gets into like you know the female cycle and how that's almost like 
some sort of a yeah. start over of a news cycle right. and, and, and something like that. But beyond yeah. like <laughs> where the darkness of this movie goes, I mean, even just it's like this idea of this fresh busload of young girls coming into town yes. trying this career out. Yeah. And if they don't get sucked into like dating Polly Shore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or David Spade, yeah, <laughs> they might end up in this situation. Am I staring? A little. Sorry. I just have such beautiful skin. I'm Ruby, by the way. Do you have a name or you want me to guess? Jessie. Jessie. And you just get to L.A., Jesse? How'd you know? You've got that look? Oh, don't worry, honey. That whole deer in the headlights thing is exactly what they want. Jesse meets Ruby, played by Jenna Malone, who is a makeup artist. She's more seasoned. She's kind of almost got this jaded persona. But it's clear that she's immediately intrigued by Jesse, and she refers to Jesse as having the, quote, deer in the headlights thing that so <laughs> yeah. many will be interested in and, a, and will draw people into her. So not only does she have the natural beauty that so many will want, but her dazed and confused new in town persona will be a plus people will want that because once you're in the industry you kind of have that jaded look that yeah, feel right. of like you've been there and you know all the fucked up shit that's you've happening been used up yeah and ruby is expressing sympathy here i think over time we will start to realize that she's feigning sympathy that her emotions are not legitimate <laughs> right and that she's almost already like setting a trap yes there is like a luring in I can be your big sister protector type and I think that is somewhat true I think there is this idea that Ruby is her protector until Ruby doesn't get what she wants right. and then it's almost like Jesse's left to the wolves yeah. <laughs> although it is funny like who ultimately pushes her into that pool that's right so Ruby takes Jesse to this party it's all a whirlwind it's kind of like Jesse has a ticket and a backstage pass already to this world. Because I think even like a lot of the good looking girls that are trying to do this, it, it's much more of a process and things would be like slower. But yeah. the point of this movie is, and we'll see this whether it's in the agency scene with Christina Hendricks or, or whatever, it'll happen kind of over and over where it's like Jesse gets to skip so much because people just want that's true to she, have what she has they want to work with her uh she's on the fast track as they say yeah whether it's photographers that want to work with her or people that want to put her in the show like the fashion show and all that shit ruby introduces her to sarah and Gigi, played by abby lee and bella heathcote abby lee it's just shockingly skinny it seems like well abby lee was a model okay before she was an actress so she kind of served as like an on-set 
consultant okay. for a lot of how these scenes would She's work. Like, this is how it was. Yeah, especially like the scene where they like parade before the fashion designer. Oh boy, uh, yeah. Robert Sarno, I think is the character's name. That whole sequence, like how that would work, how that would look, and stuff. How dismissive the male. Yeah, she was in. Be. She was one of the chicks in Mad Max Fury Road. I was like, I, I'm like, I, I don't know what that job is called. I'm, I was like struggling. I, I don't know what they would call that job that he was doing. He, well, he's like, he's supposed to be like the fashion designer himself. Like he okay. would be yeah. like Calvin Klein or Ralph okay. Lauren or yes. something. It's just like a made up guy though for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Sarah and Gigi, you can sense immediately this jealousy and how Jesse kind of changes the atmosphere when she comes in. And if you pay attention, you'll notice that the photographer that we'll meet later, Jack is at this party and he's staring at Jesse. Yes. So Jesse's like already making waves, attracting attention, (laughs) which of course is not going to sit well with these other two models because it, it really sets up a world of jealousy, backstabbing, social climbing stepping on each other doing whatever you have to do to be the best to be the biggest star and jesse seems sort of overmatched in this and it won't be until she like sort of embraces this idea that things will finally collapse around her because at the beginning she's not that's true she's she's very genuine even when she says things that like upset Gigi. like in this next scene she's not saying it to be a bitch she's just saying it because that's what she thinks that well, she's not trying to be mean. She's just trying to say it. It, it. She's kind of not endearing herself. But before we talk about the bathroom scene, which is coming up, because I think it's like actually one of the more pivotal scenes yeah. in the whole movie, let's talk about Gigi and Sarah. So Gigi, played by Heathcote, she believes she was born with lots of flaws and imperfections, which she has attempted to correct via a lot of cosmetic surgery, which she's very open about and talks oh, yeah. about a lot throughout the film. And uh, to me, referencing her plastic surgeon, yes, Dr. Andrew, right. who she's in love with, as much as someone like that is capable of love, sure. which doesn't seem real. She kind of represents, at least the way I was looking at it, as like the pursuit of beauty, yeah. And that's on true. this, like, as if, if it's you something do all you these can, things, you'll eventually achieve it, yeah, as if, as if it's something you can get and obtain if you don't have, that's right. which. That fashion designer that we referenced earlier, Robert Sarno, will sort of be dismissive of that idea in a pretty brutal and humiliating scene. Yeah, that scene is just horrible. And it doesn't go well for <laughs> really? virtually anybody, no. except maybe Jesse, I guess. I mean, she just ends like looking the best out of it. but. And then we have Sarah, played by Lee, who is supposed to be naturally beautiful but almost 30 and now facing rejections she was previously spared earlier in her career. That's right. And she's faced with what now might be the end. And so I see her as fading beauty. So we have the pursuit of beauty and we have fading beauty and they are on a collision course with new beauty, new beauty, natural beauty, innocent beauty, whatever you want to say it. Uncorrupted beauty. They will each ultimately view Jesse differently. Sarah sees a younger version of herself and she can kind of read the writing on the wall that Jesse will make quick work of the competition, which includes those two and will be the toast of the town oh, yeah. and the bell of the ball. Gigi is more in denial. I think she's very dismissive of Jesse. She feels like she's riding high still. Well, she's supposed to be younger, I think yeah. than Sarah, but I keep coming back to her just being in denial. Like, she's not buying it. Well, that's true, yeah. She 
insists that Jesse is sleeping with people at various points to get things. That's true. She's not even when Jesse shows up being on like the same show or whatever yeah. as her and like has such a prominent role already. Yeah, um, and then and she's, she's chosen to close the show, which yeah. is like the big oh, yeah. moment. Right. I would say she reacts angrily to that. Yeah, that's where she's finally confronted with the reality yeah. that she's been denying up until that point. Like she's just not accepting the reality of it, which I think Sarah is more aware of it she right might away. Ha- yeah, her whole view of beauty might be distorted by her own pursuit of the uh, cosmetic surgeries. Yeah. I do think that there is something to that and that it's possible that the the plastic surgery stuff factors into the very end of the movie, although I don't know that for sure. I have some other theories as to what that's all about, okay. but that's certainly one of them, that like her artificial beauty is somehow corrupting this process that these yeah these three women did (laughs) (laughs) the bathroom scene at the party which is the food or sex scene is sort of the the pivotal conversation i think some people view it as a contract offer to jesse they are making some sort of an offer to her that she is not understanding yeah i think that's a very like metaphorical way of looking at it i don't know that that's really it but it is sort of like establishing their mindset so ruby and Gigi are talking about lipsticks how they're all named after food or sex and when jesse comes out of the stall they say which one are you oh boy and she doesn't really know how to answer this so Gigi says she's dessert and then she says because she's so sweet after like kind of a a pause there where (laughs) you're like okay Later in the film, Sarah will say, who wants sour milk when you can get fresh meat? And there's a lot of food imagery throughout this. Yeah. Are you getting the picture at home? When referring to the desirability of Jessie as opposed to herself and Gigi, who I guess she's saying are old news at that point, in a more metaphorical sense, you can look at the food thing as like the industry's consumption of innocence and purity and beauty and life force and all of these things. Yeah. And it sort of churns out these emotionless, heartless people in this blind pursuit of fame, I guess. But this is like, this movie is certainly not about the pursuit of fame or like wealth no it's more about just being adoration yes absolutely <laughs> i would say being like, loved and admired and adored and by wanted, everyone yes. yeah you know all the while that that this stuff is going on and, and continues to go on scene over scene i would point out that like every moment feels so tense this bathroom yeah. scene and the, this is the some of the stuff that i like in nicholas winding reference work with the coldness is just like Every time their shoes, like their heels, like click across the floor, you like hear it. It's like so loud and just every scene just feels so tense. And that just keeps continuing to build over and over. If he's succeeding, then I think every line is supposed to be important. And there's not really wasted dialogue. And everything is supposed to mean something and convey a feeling and so if like these scenes feel tense or intense and every line is sort of contributing to that, then it's working. I don't necessarily think he succeeds all the time. Yeah. Like I said, I, I kind of consider Only God Forgives a little bit of a miss and, and some of Too Old to Die Young doesn't really work. But I think in Drive and in this, 
the scenes are very rewatchable because you can kind of pick up on different things. And when you view, like the first time you, I watched this movie, I'm not really thinking about witchcraft or the occult or any no. of that shit. <laughs> and it's not until you like watch multiple times, then you pick up on different symbols that are throughout it and different things. And then you can theorize about like, well, maybe this is what's happening here or maybe not or yeah. whatever, you know, and then you start picking up on different stuff. And so each line in this particular scene feels very like heavy and weighted. Jesse lies about her sexual experience. Right. So it's almost like she's giving false hope to Ruby, I guess, who ultimately is the one that's going to be sexually pursuing Jesse. It's sort of interesting because it's it throws out the idea of there being like sexual preference at all. The fact that even if she's not lying about her sexual experience, it's like, well, maybe she's strictly hetero. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that doesn't really factor into it. It's almost like if she has had sex with people, then Ruby feels like she can get in there. <laughs> I guess, and if she yeah. hasn't, it's like she's a babe in the woods. Like, she's totally yeah. in over her head. Well, that is the thing. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, had, had no... I was not picking up on these lines being thrown out. Never would have guessed where this movie was heading. But I, I would say even on first viewing... The predatory feel is apparent to everyone that Jess yes. is encountering. I think that I wish I had your hair. Is this your natural color? You're just so beautiful. Don't you think that she's just perfect? Is that your real nose? Yeah. God, life is so unfair. Gigi just got out of the body shop. She's still a little sensitive. You had work done? <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Sweet, plastics is just good grooming. Imagine going a year without brushing your teeth. I go to this guy in Beverly Hills. Andrew. Dr. Andrew. She's in love with him. <laughs> of course I love him. Look at me. He calls me the bionic woman. Is that a compliment? I hear your parents are dead. That must be really hard for you. Do you have other family? No. No one at all? You must have a boyfriend. Oh. All she really wants to know is, who are you fucking? This is when Gigi is first revealing about her plastic surgery, and she says that her doctor calls her the bionic woman, and Jesse <laughs> says, is that a compliment? Really? I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, is that a good thing? Which, I, like I said, I think she's being genuine. She's not right being like a bitch, but Sarah, who's just watching this, she's kind like, of What's bionic laughs yeah. and almost spits out her champagne. <laughs> and that, and so now Gigi is clearly pissed. And then she's like, I hear your parents are dead. <laughs> <laughs> that must be very hard for uh, yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> and she like shoots a glare at Ruby because it's like, well, who else could have told them? Yeah. I don't have any other friends. I wonder if her parents are dead. I'm not sure. It's hard to... T her whole backstory it's hard to explain is this. sort how of a mystery. Would, how would she have any money to be like living at this hotel? <laughs> I don't know. These well, girls always building, somehow run away. Like, yeah. 
it's like one of those apartment buildings that's also it seems like a hotel i don't know it, it is like, like a motel okay yeah but it's one of those ones that you can get like a weekly rate right yes jesse ends up signing with an agency headed by roberta hoffman played by christina hendrix she yeah kind of drops in here for one scene looking pretty busty i would say as always this is another it's a it's a quick scene it's not super important other than roberta puts her in contact with the photographer jack MacArthur, who yeah. we saw at the party although we didn't know that that was him even though we did that drive episode like so long ago i just still remember talking about christina hendrix being on that like stick up job and like how like <laughs> how that makes like no sense super tight outfit <laughs> can't get out of this car <laughs> yeah it just it is it's a weird role for her yeah so she tells jesse to say you're 19 at all times so here we go that's because 18 is too on the nose and people will just believe what they're told yeah let's have (laughs) you like sign your own parental consent yeah and she suggests faking a signature on the parental consent form so already we have like a a figure in a position of authority leading her down an inappropriate road yeah and i think the takeaway in this scene is really just the everyday casualness right it's just like this is standard operating procedure she comes out into the lobby and there's like three girls waiting and she just like points at one and she's just like you can go (laughs) (laughs) starts crying in the build-up to jesse's modeling career really taking off she interacts with three male characters there's dean yeah her quasi love interest who's like an amateur photographer there's hank yeah played by Keanu Reeves, who we're going to meet in a little bit. He's like the manager (laughs) of this motel. And really an unforgettable role. And Jack, who is this first photographer he's going to work for, each seem to represent different levels of a threat, each represent different things to Jesse. And we'll talk about each of them here real quick. Dean is sort of a love interest. He represents normality outside of this world into which Jesse is being pulled. I would say the first shot of Dean makes it seem like he's kind of a scary guy. Maybe not like someone that's going to be a positive influence, but he ends up being the best of the bunch. Yeah, but I would trust that instinct because, okay, he's a wannabe photographer. However, when he learns that Jesse is underage... That's true. He makes a joke about it, but ultimately just shrugs it off. Yeah. And it's still all in. And I, That's I true. think he's supposed to be yeah. like in his 20s. Okay. And she's like 16. So certainly not a hero, but I would say compared to his male compatriots in this movie. Yeah, it's a little bit of the, the same old story, like a star is born narrative. There's some added complexities. Dean was like the guy that was on the phone with Lady Gaga in the bathroom at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I just think you're supposed to be unconvinced of him because of yeah. his sort of romantic interests. Like when he's called out later in the film by that fashion designer, Robert, you kind of can't. There's no defense for that because it's kind of like. It, well, yeah. He, it, what are yeah. you supposed to say to that? It's I mean, like if she wasn't pretty, you wouldn't be interested and she's underage. And you can kind of like, if you want. I'm not saying that this is, like, the right reading of these scenes, but if you want to, you can sort of reanalyze the scenes with Hank as to being, like, totally different than what they seem on the surface. And we'll sort of go through that as we as we get there. But the whole idea of someone being, like, this pedophile creep predator, it seems like it's supposed to be Hank, but you could also, like, interpret what he's saying as, like, saying it to Dean. 
you yeah, should do this. You should check this out if you're if this is what you're into. Yeah. And a lot of the other stuff that comes up later may not be real or may not be what you think it is. So it's like it's sort of like blurry. So we'll we'll get to Hank in a second. Okay. Roberta describes Dean's photography work as amateurish, but it's also possible that what we are supposed to see Dean as is an amateur predator. Okay, Meaning he right. I see. He yeah. is preying on Jesse, but he isn't quite No, he's not at the level of like he doesn't like quite Hank. know what he how to do it or what to do, yeah. but it's still creepy and weird. But it seems less because he doesn't That's go true. through with anything. Right. But he's still kind of like I totally fall for it. If you listen to what Jesse says to Roberta, it's like or I I forget who she tells. I guess maybe she tells Ruby. I'm not even sure who she tells, but she's like I met this guy online, meaning Dean. Yep. He's there like, he saw me. What more do you need? And then he wanted to work with me. And then now he's like interested and they're like going on a date. And like he finds out she's 16 and he's like still into it. And yeah, right. He doesn't put the kibosh on it at that point. <laughs> Very appropriate for a lot of the celebrity really? news stories Seriously. <laughs> coming out. The last few days he was sliding into the dms so we have hank played by keanu reeves in like a very weird role for keanu very yeah really. against typecast <laughs> <laughs> it is wild he's the manager of the motel in pasadena where jesse is staying not a lot of redeeming qualities i would say about him or his hotel really or his motel really he seems to take pride in providing a place for young runaways to stay when they get to la so he doesn't really require his guests at this motel to be over 18. In fact, he sort of wants that to happen, and he Gosh. sort of brags about how young they are. Unlike Dean, Hank is not an amateur predator. He's more like a scavenger preying on easy targets and wounded animals. And so these girls with these big dreams, not all of them are necessarily going to get anywhere. They're not going to be anybody, and they all show up in town and by offering this place for them to go, he's able to sort of like scoop up yeah. these girls who, of course, are underage most of the time and don't really have anywhere else to turn. <laughs> it's really a, I mean, a crazy place yeah. to end up in life. It is but nuts. These people, I guess, exist on the idea of like, well, you know, no one's stopping them on a day-to-day basis. It's like they might get busted at some point. They might not. But they're sort of living outside the law being like, I'm just going to let underage girls stay at this motel. And yeah. I'm going to basically take advantage of that situation as and much as I thing. can. I, I mean, you do find yourself being like, you can't believe this many girls keep showing up and are able to pay for a place to live. Yeah. We first meet Hank when Jesse gets home from a date with Dean and discovers a mountain lion in her motel room. <laughs> Which... First thoughts on that. I mean, that was pretty wild the first time you see this movie. We see this mountain lion in her motel room. There's a lot to think about this, yeah. what this means. I think of in the L.A. area, there are mountain lions right. in the city limits. And in that area, a mountain lion would be an apex predator. And Absolutely. nothing is eating a mountain lion. So yeah. it's sort of a symbolic thing showing like where jesse's headed you could look at it just straight up like this is a mountain lion it got into a room that's foreshadowing you could even sort of yeah and there's a a great line with this where i don't know if it's hank or like his companion that says well you let it in you left the sliding door yeah it's your fault 
Yeah, that and that is that is like intentional. Right. I mean, it's yeah. like Jesse is leaving herself open to this situation. I kept thinking to myself though, I'm like, yeah, I, I can definitely see the metaphor here, the predator getting in the room and just sort of like being there. But I, I was thinking to myself too, like every time I see something that's wild like this in a movie, I'm always like, oh yeah, this must just be just for like symbolism. But then it seems like you always read that's like, well, this is actually based off something like the director knew somebody that this happened to or something, you know? Yeah. There's always a little bit of both. And I think, I think sometimes it's, it's cool to, explore possible meanings for things even if the people making it don't always think of it that way sometimes i think that it just sort of happens and this i mean it is scary by the way when when she like tries to go in the room and like the door slams back yeah you you see it like jumping off of the dresser onto the bed at one point one of the big theories once you watch the whole movie and you see where this is headed and you find out the truth about ruby and the other two girls and everything a lot of people hypothesize that the mountain lion is ruby or if it's not her like shape-shifting it's like something she did yeah like as this witch person to sort of destabilize jesse's situation which ultimately will lead to jesse staying with ruby which true okay leading her uh, motion the end of the movie leading her into her arms as they say but there's also like the idea of her potentially getting something out of the room, taking possession of something that was Jesse's, possibly any number of reasons why she would want to be in the room, and she turns into this mountain lion, maybe. I don't know. I don't really know if any of that yeah. is what it's supposed to be. I don't know if it matters one way or the other, whether or not it's it's actually Ruby, or if it's just supposed to be a symbolic thing of like what's to come. But yes, the line about her leaving the door open is definitely intentional about Jesse's own role in what happens to her, which I guess you could kind of write off as like naivete, just like not knowing what could happen. True, yeah. And the third guy is Jack, played by Desmond Harrington. This is the photo shoot that Roberta set up. Jesse shows up to the photo shoot. Ruby is there. Jack sends everyone out. Yeah. And then tells her to take everything off. Another so guy. she takes off all of her clothes. Actually, I would say of these three dudes, he has like the most cold demeanor. And this is supposed to be, for the audience, I think, the most threatening scene yeah, right. to this point. And this is what I meant when I talked about subverting expectations. Because I think the idea here is you're lost in the movie and the narrative of the movie. So you know that Jesse is 16. I think... If you want to take a step back, I'm not absolving okay. Jack. I yeah, mean, right. he seems kind of creepy, but sure. he thinks that she's a regular model. And it sets up this scenario where you think that he is going to take advantage of her in some way. And then it cuts eventually. He's like rubbing that gold paint on her or whatever. Yeah, right. And then it cuts to like it being over. And she comes outside to where Ruby is waiting. And Ruby has all of these assumptions about what could have happened or yeah, might have like, happened stay away from him and she has all these warnings and it once again it's pulling the wool over your eyes thinking that rudy is looking out for jesse and being protective of something that we assume might happen right. with jack but doesn't happen and so it's sort of like a misdirection of like where the danger is but at the same time it doesn't necessarily absolve jack I no, mean, who no, knows? We, don't, we just don't really know yeah. anything about him but he doesn't seem like a great guy. I can say that. Yes. 
Ruby takes Jesse's phone, puts her number into it, and she says it's good to have good girls around. I also thought that was kind of important that she took hold of Jesse's phone, and it's almost like she's sort of gaining more power and influence yeah, over Jesse by like touching her stuff and like infiltrating her life and all this stuff. Ruby then immediately runs <laughs> to like a diner to tease Sarah and Gigi with the news of Jesse's shoot with Jack, which oh, comes as right. like a shock. Yeah. Because like Jack doesn't shoot new girls, and it's like, well, I guess she does. <laughs> These like, three in there like drive to like fuck with each other. It's yeah, Gigi's really still in denial. Sarah, understanding what it means, like I said, Ruby still very clearly into yeah. Jesse at this point. Oh, but I do love how like they're just like drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes, and that's like a hundred percent their like full diet. Yeah, they even tease the waitress about yeah. like reading the specials and stuff, and they just generally seem like terrible people. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's weird the first time you see this movie, like trying to figure out the dynamics of this relationship. Who is the leader of this group? Who has yeah. the power in this group? And you think like, well, Ruby is not a model, and she's like not as beautiful as the other two, so you think that she's sort of like this hanger on she instantly has like a fucking lady boner for jesse so she must have had it for these two too and they just let her hang out with them and they're the cool girls but over time you sort of like understand that ruby, ruby. has something that they don't have we don't know what that is yeah. yet and that she's sort of the leader the of the group yeah yeah i don't know when you start like going down the road of the history before the movie starts and what has been going on with these three girls before the events of this movie and how long it's been going on. I mean, you can go down quite a wild path. What is actually the deal with that house? Yeah, I had a lot of thoughts about the house because I always took it at face value. That she really is That she was house-sitting, but then I was like, I don't really think that's true for some reason, but I don't know what the yeah benefit of the lie was at that point it's true i don't know it's hard to put together but it is something seems yeah you could maybe read into it that like ruby is like immortal or something is like way older than she looks it's possible but i don't know who's to say (laughs) again people who haven't seen this are like what the (laughs) what (laughs) yeah really where is this what is happening (laughs) i think that Whatever preceded these events, as you just brought up, I think that also factors into one of my theories about what happens with Gigi at the end and the possibility of like how long this was going on before Jesse got involved. But we'll see. So the next part of the film is the audition for this fashion designer, Robert Sarno, played by Alessandro Nivola, who we know from a few things... He was like one of the That's right. the rabbi people in Disobedience. He was yes. also in that movie with Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots, The Art of Self-Defense. Oh, he was like the That's right. main dude. The, yeah, the uh, He's been around forever. He's been in like tons of shit. He's married to Emily Mortimer, the lucky oh, bastard. Oh, yeah, good for him. He's like kind of oddly uncredited yeah. in this movie, which I, I'm not really sure why. I think it must have had something to do with I don't know. If you're like already working on something else, sometimes you have there's like weird sh- rules about okay. that shit. I don't know why he's like uncredited, but whatever. So he's like this fashion designer dude. He's looking for models. Sarah and Jesse are both at this audition. Complete lack of interest in Sarah, who's like already <laughs> worked for him before. Downright dismissive. Like, doesn't even really look up. 
like intentionally not looking. It's, yeah. it's more than not paying attention. It's like, I want you to know how much I'm not paying attention. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. There is speculation when his little assistant lady like whispers something in his ear, like almost as if reminding him of something that yeah. they're speculating that Sarah like fucked up or did something okay or made a scene something unforgivable yeah it was something like not positive that she's reminding him of i don't know what that could be or what that means but when he gets a look at jesse he's completely awestruck that's right enamored and of course jesse is gonna get this gig and for sarah it plays out in a way that almost feels predictable or inevitable and exactly how she knew it would but she's still compelled to show up and put herself through it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like she knew this was going to happen and knew exactly how it was going to happen and still came and put herself through it. And Hoping so against hope. She goes into the ladies room and has this meltdown. Oh yeah. She breaks a big mirror. <laughs> Here's our first moment that something is not as we would think. Jesse comes in and Sarah sort of has like this pretty great yeah. monologue here about what is it like which is uh, to be the sun yeah. in the winter and the, which all this is stuff i mean the the irony here is meanwhile she's like one of the prettiest girls <laughs> you know yeah I, i've seen it seems like well i don't know maybe we should move out to la and just start like scooping up these rejected i know that models. feel like that, that feel like they're nothing and no one sees yeah, them there's a lot of other dudes doing yeah. that <laughs> it's like get in line yeah, i don't right. th- i still don't <laughs> think we would be even in <laughs> Yeah, I think that those guys might have a little bit better physiques than uh, what we have to <laughs> we offer. We would not even be like allowed to be like the valet that parks their fucking no, I, cars. And that's the thing. I mean, I think you think that's like part of the idea of the movie too. I mean, we don't go there, but it's, there's all these dudes that just their whole life is like, yeah, I'm like leasing a BMW or whatever to like live this fake life and <laughs> pursue these rejected models. <laughs> yeah, who are a little bit damaged. Sarah says, "People see you. I'm a ghost." Oh, you did great. Don't do that. Pretend that you don't know. People see you. They notice. Do you know how lucky you are? I'm a ghost. What's it feel like? What do you mean? To walk into a room and it's like in the middle of winter, you're the sun. It's everything. Yeah, in sort of like the first hint of like a horror movie, Sarah lunges at Jesse, and Jesse flinches backward, slicing her palm on a shard of glass from the broken mirror. Yeah. Sarah then grabs the bloodied hand and begins to drink the blood. You're which like, oh boy. Shocking Jesse, who shocking us all, pulls really. away and flees the scene. Yeah, I think this is like the first little hint of the Elizabeth Bathory stuff, the witchcraft, the the power of youth and beauty being in the blood the idea of like eternal beauty and eternal youth being able to be absorbed from the blood 
So I'm going to read this real quick from Wikipedia okay, for people who aren't sure about Elizabeth Bathory. Countess Me being one. Elizabeth Bathory lived from 1560 to 1614. Hungarian noblewoman from the noble family of Bathory who owned land in the kingdom of Hungary. Bathory has been labeled by Guinness World Records as the most prolific female murderer, though the precise number that? of her victims is debated. Bathory and four collaborators were accused of torturing and killing hundreds of young women between 1590 and 1610. There is no hard evidence about the whole murder case. The highest number of victims cited during Bathory's trial was 650. However, this number comes from the claim by a servant girl named Susanna that blah, 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 blah. No one cares. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. whatever. Despite the evidence against Bathory, her family's importance kept her from facing execution. She was imprisoned in December 1610 within Castle of something in Upper okay. Hungary. So the stories of Bathory's sadistic serial murders are verified by the testi- testimony of more than 300 witnesses and survivors, as well as physical evidence and the presence of horribly mutilated dead, dying, and imprisoned girls found at the time of her arrest. Stories describing Bathory's vampiric tendencies, such as the tale that she bathed in the blood of virgins to retain her youth, oh, were no. generally recorded years after her death and are considered unreliable, but this is all part of the folklore of this person she's often compared to vlad the impaler who was the basis of count dracula some people speculate that she was also a big inspiration for bram stoker this sounds... she's known as the blood countess and countess dracula we watched is this immoral tales I yeah, mean, yeah, that, yeah okay that, right, so that yeah. was that character i see okay tales, yeah. i was just gonna say this sounds straight out of immoral tales yeah she's been like the influence for like a lot of shit because it's such like yeah. an insane thing but she was known to like there's stories of her drinking the blood or bathing in the blood and all that shit who knows if any of that was true like it says in that thing a lot of those more salacious versions came after she was already dead so no one really knows if she did all that stuff that's right it seems pretty everyone knew someone who knew someone who was seems likely that she was doing some fucked up shit yeah and she probably killed and tortured girls probably well it's kind of like how ed gain becomes like leatherface you know (laughs) yeah what he was doing wasn't good i mean it wasn't quite just been like kind of a sicko sadist who was like getting off sexually on this stuff and it wasn't like she was like thinking that she actually was like retaining her youth and beauty by bathing in blood yeah but like i don't really think one is better than the other (laughs) i mean it's still fucked up right they just sort of turned it more into like a vampire witch narrative as it went on but you can see the seeds of where that ends up in the neon demon and that's the thing when you talk about vampires i think when this scene happened in the movie i I was thinking that a little bit because i was thinking vampires because it feels like she gets a little bit of the blood and has almost a i don't want to say orgasmic reaction but certainly like is enjoying yes the fact that she got the blood so vampires was the first thing i thought of i think this amplifies what's happening and sort of expedites the process because after this moment is when things start to get like real fucked up for jesse like she starts hallucinating about the triangle and all that shit that's after this and i think similarly to like what i said about the mountain lion being in her room and possibly coming into contact with her things and then ruby taking the phone and touching it and getting like some of her aura that way and then this is like the big moment where her blood is consumed by sarah it seems like now this i mean we've kind of danced around the word but this coven of witches has now gotten their claws in deeper 
and this sort of changes what's happening. Yep. If you were going to like read this in a more metaphorical sense, this is Sarah going crazy at the idea of this newcomer coming in and you know there isn't any necessarily magic involved i don't know even if you like don't buy into the fact that there's magic powers i don't even think you you have to i mean there's there's no real evidence of like supernatural things happening in this movie that's true it's just like fucked up things right because even if elizabeth bathory is guilty of all the things she was accused of it's not like that was working (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like if she bathed in the blood of these virgins she killed. It's not like that was actually keeping her young. You can still do the fucked up shit without the supernatural part of it actually happening. Oh, oh true, yeah. Many and that have. could be what's happening in the Neon Demon. Or you could buy into the supernatural stuff. I guess the one supernatural moment is when Ruby is like expelling the blood Yes. later and then being able to... like vomit up an intact eyeball seems like a little bit that far-fetched. seems wild yeah <laughs> but that's sort of just an artistic right touch to yeah, make yeah. it fun <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, very enjoyable for us all ruby also works at a funeral parlor doing makeup for corpses so again beauty and death intertwined jesse passes out in her motel room from the cut she like puts alcohol or something on it dean brings her flowers so she collapses with the flowers by her face it's a very like fairy tale shot yeah a framed picture of her like sleeping beauty with the with the flowers that's and, true and the petals and everything and this is the first time she sees a vision of this triangle it's like this blue neon triangle it's sort of up for debate i think as to what it represents yeah i, I don't know what either sides of the debate are it's a inverted triangle, which can also mean different things than a regular triangle. Like, okay. it's upside down. Yeah, and then yeah. there's three okay, yeah. triangles within the triangle. I don't know. These hallucinations coincide with Sarah consuming some of her blood, but they also coincide with Jesse's own descent into her narcissism, which, as I said, I think is that is what the neon demon is. This is where she starts to take the turn. She's buying into her own hype. Yeah. Dean meets Hank to pay off this debt for the damage the mountain lion caused, and then Hank goes on this whole thing about how <laughs> Jesse is hard candy. Oh, boy. Because he's like, I want to make sure you're getting something out of this deal, basically. Like, why are you doing all this shit for her if she's, like, not fucking you or whatever? And then he's like, you should check out the girl next door in 214. She's this 13-year-old runaway. We just got some real Lolita shit. And yeah. this is where he says the thing about the sliding door being left open. That's it's right. Like, yes. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. She did it. She yeah, left right. the door open. You know, maybe oh, victim blaming yeah. <laughs> a little bit. But the- yeah, I mean, I definitely think Hank is like obviously one of the creepiest people in this. But Certainly it is interesting the way he phrases it. some yeah. of the stuff because it's like he is almost being accusatory towards Dean. You should check this out because it seems like that's what you're into because you're hanging out with this underage girl all right. the time. And True. We're on the same level then. If I'm into it, you must be too. Yeah. And it is but kind of Dean like... Dean does seem off-put. He does, but like he could also be off-put by his in unwillingness to, the truth. to confront the reality of what he's doing. I guess it's just semantics at a certain point. That's true. I mean, I don't know. It does seem like way more fucked up when you say 13, but seriously, the whole situation is fucked. Absolutely. There's not a lot of good things going on here. Jesse participates in this fashion show for Robert's clothing line. 
Gigi is also among the models. Just an overwhelming amount of jealousy apparent here. She just yeah, always has some cunty to, thing to say. I know, but it really boils over in this yeah. confrontation. She gives that list of the plastic surgery procedures, and it's like insane shit. Yeah. Like, it's really I had like part gross. of my jaw shaved. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. I had my I, ears pinned back. Yeah, I know. Stuff. It's gross. It, it's The way that it's described, Just it, I don't know. It makes me squirm yeah and they do bella heathcote's makeup like a certain way to make her seem like more artificial that's because i've seen her in other movies and she's way normal looking and doesn't look like she had any plastic surgery not that she even does necessarily in this movie but you know what i mean like i think you start buying into the the way they're describing it and stuff and like picturing it how it's being portrayed jesse is selected to close the show which of course upsets gigi but it's almost like in this scenario pre-show here, like Gigi's unable to even do anything. It's like just ineffective against the skyrocketing career. That's true. That's yeah. happening right in front Rising of her. star. The show itself, I think, is is very metaphorical. It's it doesn't seem like a real fashion show at all. We only sort of see it through the prism of of Jesse's transformation Which slash hallucination. Almost feels drug induced, like this part. The triangle returns. Some people sort of tie that in with Jesse's body, mind, and soul kind of giving over to this. Uh, triangles are associated with like an ascension, like a, a pathway to a goal, like the top of a triangle, but it is inverted. Once I made the connection, like once you realize like the witchcraft and the witches and all yeah, that shit, I always I- thought of it as like the three points equal the three witches. And I think there can be more than three witches in a coven, but three is often associated because of Macbeth. It's like a very literary version of witches. It's like there's three in a coven, even though there can be more, but you know, it's, it's sort of more like a literary version of a coven than like what. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I guess there are real covens or there were, or, you know, there can always be like more, but in something like this, it seems more like a reference. We certainly don't want to be offensive to any existing covens that (laughs) That definitely are listening listening. to this. Yeah. But Jesse now has this newfound confidence. She falls in love with herself, her new self. There's like a part of this where she's like kissing her own reflection. And again, like the usage of color, the blue to red, it starts off like bathed in blue, which is like symbolizing more of her beginning and her innocence. And then the switch to red, which has a more like aggressive sexual connotation. Red always seems like more confrontational than blue, I guess. That's true. Seeing red. Afterwards, they're at this sort of like bar or restaurant place. Robert is already there with Gigi and another model. Dean comes in with Jesse, and Robert is just in the process of being like this pompous ass. He's like very like in love with himself. He's talking about how he is an actor too, and like oh, that's that, right. And yeah. he's like this te- Renaissance know, he does man. this example, and it's like terrible. <laughs> yeah. But he's like just really feeling himself. Jesse in this sequence does not really speak very much, but she is like visibly changed. Just the way That's that true. like Elle Fanning is made up her makeup in the scene and like the way she's like looking and presenting herself. And this is like the scene where it's no matter what line Dean was like wavering on, he is just blown away by how awful these people all are. Yeah. And it's established by Robert humiliating Gigi by using her as an example of his theory that beauty cannot be manufactured because 
as has been established earlier in the film, Gigi's like very open about the plastic surgery in a way that's like sort of bizarre. Yeah. You know, like you would almost think that she wouldn't. I guess it's like just sort of grabbing it and putting it out. Like, I'm not going to let this be something that people use against me. Maybe. Possibly. She says something to this other model, but then then Robert's like, you can always tell when it's fake. Oh, I know. But that's the thing. She's like, I'm not going to let someone use this against me. And Robert's like, oh, you're not? Well, (laughs) here I go. Basically, like, you're trash. You could never be what Jesse is. And Dean is unwittingly, like, roped into this discussion. (laughs) I know. He's just like, I just thought we were going to sit at this table and you would have, like, a vodka soda or something. He's like, what do you think about Gigi? And he's like, well, she's fine. And he's like, Yes, that's the word. <laughs> She's fine. <laughs> Which is just, it's wow. just kind of brutal. It and really even is though, just like, like a humiliating beatdown. Dean, we're having a little debate over here. We need your expertise. Okay. You know Gigi, right? Well, I mean, we just met. Wait, 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 wait. you stand up so that he can take a look at you. Go on, stand up. Well, what? What do you think? Do you think she's beautiful? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess she's fine. Yes, yes. That's exactly the word that I was looking for. She's fine, right? You can sit down now, thanks. Thank you, Dean. Now, look at Jesse. Nothing fake. Nothing false. A diamond in a sea of glass. True beauty is the highest currency we have. Without it, she would be nothing. I think you're wrong. Excuse me? I said I think you're wrong. So are you going to tell me that it's what's inside that counts? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Well, I think that if she wasn't beautiful, you wouldn't have even stopped to look. Beauty isn't everything, it's the only thing. It is strange. I mean, Jesse gets the most sympathy by the end of the movie, but when you see how things play out, I think there is sort of a sadness to this Gigi character. Oh, I'd say. And yeah. there's like when you theorize on like why things don't go right for her in the end of this movie, you can kind of see she's just sort of caught up in something and she thought she could hang with the big dogs, but like she couldn't handle it or some shit. Who knows? Yep. Robert does really nothing but fuel Jesse's new expanding ego by praising her natural beauty. Dean pushes back. Robert calls him out. Like I said earlier, you wouldn't have thought twice. You wouldn't have even paid any attention to her if she wasn't beautiful. So shut the fuck up. And he doesn't really have like any well, again, response to that. What are you going to say here? Yeah. it's. I mean, you'd be lying. Yeah. And so, it's made worse because we know that Dean is an overage right, adult. Yeah. And Jesse is a teenager who's not of age and so he he's double down yeah he only is into it for the looks and it's made even worse because it's like you can't even what are you gonna say yeah, she's not a great a good personality look. it's, really it's not like a good she's look. a teenager he wants to leave jesse won't leave with dean effectively pushing dean out of the narrative 
just like the men at a certain point in this just recede to the background. We thought that Jack or Hank or maybe Dean or even this Robert dude who may not be heterosexual, it's hard to tell. We thought one of them was the predator of this movie. Yeah. And that Jesse is the prey. But we, we were got wrong. part. Well, we were half right. Jesse is the yes. prey, but we didn't know who the predator really was. So when Jesse gets back to her motel room, she has a nightmare about Hank breaking in and putting a knife in her mouth and keeps like saying open wider. And he's like pushing the knife down her throat. Yeah. It's kind of a Which scary is, moment. I would say yes. And she wakes up on the floor of the room. And then what happens like not in the dream is even scarier. Yeah. She wakes up as someone is trying to get into her room. So she like jumps up and deadbolts the door and the person can't get in. And then she overhears an assault next door where the 13-year-old girl is staying that Hank told Dean about. So this scene on the surface is pretty cut and dry. It's like she has this dream that it's Hank. And then somebody tries to get into her room. And then someone tries to get into the neighboring room. We hear the girl next door cry out, although we never hear the voice of the intruder, and we never actually see anybody. So we don't know for sure what's going on. And I think like the more times you watch this, it starts to feel very convenient as to what all plays well, out that's here. Because true, of course yeah. she immediately then runs to Ruby. So I know. I don't know that it actually they is get it, Hank. Right, that's the thing. They get it in your head that it's Hank. Yeah, because of the dream. Yeah. Which also could have been because of this control that the coven has over that's her true. now because of the blood. You know, they seem to be exerting more of their control over her as they got more intertwined with her. And then once Sarah tasted her blood and everything. So I, mean, I don't know. I will say, Hank, obviously a bad dude. But yes. this doesn't feel like the most pragmatic crime to commit at his own motel. Well, I guess it depends on what he does. I, I don't know yeah. that he's murdering her. That's Which true. Is also, I mean, not that not that it would be better <laughs> if she was murdered, but just basically, like, go ahead, see if you, go ahead and tell anybody that's oh happening. Like, yeah. What are you gonna do? All right. <laughs> but we don't know what happens because Jesse calls Ruby, and Ruby invites Jesse to stay with her at this big house that she's supposedly house sitting at. Which, what's the deal with this house? I, I don't know. Really. But we never find out for sure what happened next door, who did it, if any of this was real or not I know, real it's, and it's also like is it a part of it that at this point jesse is so self-involved and has lost sort of that caring part of her that she's not even gonna be like we should call the police i heard this horrific crime happen yeah. next door yeah i mean I she's mean, no even consideration for that yeah i mean she definitely has become so less sympathetic than we would have thought at the beginning men essentially disappear from the story altogether and based on what we've seen thus far, we may consider Jessie safer now that she is staying with Ruby at this house. She's been removed from the grasp of traditional predators, but little does she know it's worse that she's now in more <laughs> danger than ever, which is what I think the whole thing with like a lot of these characters was supposed to keep your mind off of. Even though even when we saw this movie the first time, it's not like I really was comforted by ruby ruby uh, always had like a weird vibe and then of course it's going to be confirmed a yeah. million fold in a minute here but i feel like part of it is jenna malone there's something unsettling about her in general she is sort i of, will say uh, that one thing that struck me 
watching this in preparation for this podcast, I was like, man, it's such a fucking brave, gutsy performance by Jenna Malone yeah. in this movie. Just fearless. Just willing oh, to do true. like yes, anything. Absolutely. And just how much trust you would have to have for a director and just to do this shit. Yeah. And, you know, they teamed up again for That's Too true. Old to Die yeah. Young. And she has a she weird seems fucking... nutty in that, too. Yeah, I think, what is it, the last episode or the yeah. second to last one where she does all that weird, like, masturbation That's shit. right, yeah. <laughs> God, she's just willing. She's just willing to go for it. I love it. Well, she's always played kind of uh, wonky characters. So Jesse shows up at this big house. I think it, the house they actually filmed at is like reputed to be haunted. It's like this weird oh, wow. house up in the hills somewhere. That's kind of cool. And it's like a weird place. I, I don't even really know how to describe it other than there are like stuffed animal, And by stuffed, I, I mean actual dead animals that are stuffed. Not Taxidermy. Like, not like yeah. plushy stuffed <laughs> toys or anything. Bears. Of giant cats and like predator type animals. And I was like, is that tied in with the mountain lion in some way? Can she make those things come to life? Wow. We don't actually see a mountain lion, but there's like a jaguar or something like that. I don't know. But it is just more predators. Wheels were spinning. After Jesse shows up, she takes a shower, and then Ruby finally makes her move. Yeah. It doesn't go well for Ruby. Yeah, at first she makes like a, a pass at her that's like kind of a normal thing. It's a little weird, I guess, because of Jesse's age and everything, but it's not, like, that big of a deal. But, like, once Jesse's like, I lied, I'm a virgin, I have never had sex with anybody, it's almost like that fucking turns Ruby on oh, more. Oh, yeah. And then she's just, like, for- trying to force herself onto Jesse. And it's she's, uncomfortable. Like, on top of her. And Jesse fights her off and kicks her to the floor. Yeah, it's a harsh rejection. And so this is the contract. This is the food or sex, and she's, she's shutting down sex and in a weird way it's i mean i know like it's a traumatic thing to have this person try to force yourself onto you but like in the narrative of the movie it's almost it serves like to further contribute to jesse's growing narcissism you know what i mean she almost she kind of takes it in stride in a way because granted something fucked up is about to happen here she physically overpowers ruby too yeah so it almost feels like she even has the upper hand in that stance too right you're but, not gonna fucking be a yeah but like when me. ruby comes back from work later i mean we'll get to what happens at work in a minute but <laughs> when she comes back <laughs> jesse is just off in her own bullshit yeah and she's sure. talking about like oh i know how much it, people desire her and she's stuff. way off the rails at that if point. like if someone tried to force themselves on you especially after like the traumatic event you just came from oh, at i the know motel, that's the thing she's lost it it feels you would like. think like she would be pissed at the very least and very upset and this would be like if you were gonna ever talk to ruby again it would you'd have to talk about this and instead she's just like she doesn't even care because she's drunk with power. She's used that as like more fuel. Like, of course Ruby is trying to fuck me. Like everybody will. That's true. Yeah. All of these things are starting to So know, Ruby build up. draws this weird symbol with lipstick on a mirror, which is kind of like a face, but it's like fucked up with like X's on it and stuff. Yeah. And you're like, what does this mean? <laughs> I don't think it's good, whatever it is. Ruby goes to her day job. And has sexual relations with a female corpse. <laughs> so let's move on Just to the next that. scene. <laughs> How comfortable was this scene in the theater? Well, 
this was like one of those things because a lot of times I'll pay attention because I'm a creep. It's yeah. to like, why is a movie rated R? You know, like those words they put under there. And yes, it's like, you know, right. <laughs> creeps like us are always scanning for nudity. <laughs> and like one of the things on Neon Demon before ever seeing this movie was like, it's an aberrant sexual behavior. Oh, no. And you're always like, well, that means something fucked up is happening. Because <laughs> like aberrant could mean like yeah. any number of like weird things. I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was coming. And when this scene started to happen, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I do remember, like, just feeling a level of discomfort and just wanting this scene to be over with. I definitely don't find the scene, like, sexy or arousing. But, like, I also am not, like, grossed out by it because, like, okay. I can, I'm always just like, this person is a real person. It's not an actual corpse. Okay. Well, sure. Again, I kind of talked about this on the Saved by the Bell episode. It's like anything that's happening in the movie is real to me. <laughs> You know, so and it is weird because she's got like the the woman who's like the corpse has like the autopsy scars across her like chest and uh-huh. stomach, like where they cut her open and it, shit. Yep. So it is just like real fucking weird. And then like this is what I was talking about with like Jenna Malone just fucking going for it. I mean, she's like spitting into the woman's mouth oh. to make it like wet. So that she, and there's like yeah. saliva connecting them. It's like a. What, what what's the movie? The, disobedience. Yeah, which I, was, we already that, I know that's that another wrote. reference to disobedience. But those were two live people. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. So and then she's like, you know, grabbing this woman's breasts, and then like she crawls on top of her and basically like masturbates herself. I guess it's it's kind of unclear as to what exactly she's doing, but all the while, like, imagining yeah. Jesse like touching herself, although not in like a super sexual way. I think Elle Fanning was like a little underage when they filmed this. So yeah. it's not like they could really get too wild with what they had her do. But well, when I was starting to watch this, I was watching with Lindsay and I was like <laughs> thinking to myself at a certain, I'm just like, I knew we weren't going to watch it all in one viewing. So I was like, you can probably watch like the first half, but I think, I just think it's going to be too much for you <laughs> once we get to a certain point, because it's just like all the best stuff is in the second <laughs> half. <laughs> These are the scenes yeah. you need <laughs> to make it worth it. <laughs> It is wild, though. You're like, wow, I was not expecting this to be in a movie. Well, if you think of it from a storytelling perspective, you need that moment. I think we talked about it in the Say by the Bell Hawaiian-style episode well, with true. Brian. You yeah. need that moment of, like, when do you have – how do you reveal your heel turn? How You're do you like, reveal oh, the truth about a character? Boy, Ruby seems like she can't be trusted. And so Ruby makes this awkward attempt at going for Jesse, and then she forces herself on Jesse a little bit, and you're like – Okay, that's pretty fucked up. And then she draws that symbol, and you're like, okay, well, Sarah tried to drink her blood. Now she's drawing a symbol on the mirror. What the fuck is going on? But that's not enough. It's like, we got to take it up to fucking 10. (laughs) 10 plus. We got to go all out here. Let's have her fucking get wild with this corpse in the fucking Just in case you weren't sure. Yeah. Here's how you should feel about Ruby. Something's fucked up. The way she just sort of shuts the door and sort of like checks to make sure no one's around and then immediately gets to it. There's not much hesitation. This is the first time perhaps that she's thought about Jesse while doing this, but this is probably not the first time she's done it. There's no hesitation. She knows the moves to do. Yep. Spit in the mouth. The whole thing. She knows all the steps. There's no like thinking about this. Like, what am I going to do? It's as regular as how many times underage girls are signing their parental consent forms at the agency behind this house that ruby is staying at which may or may not be her house 
may or may not be a house she's house sitting at. I think it's possible that she killed whoever's house this is. I mean, that's a theory. I don't really know what we're supposed to make of this house. Hard to say. There's this empty swimming pool. Ruby returns home to find Jessie in a gown now having done her own makeup, which I think you could read into as symbolizing her as shedding the need for Ruby. Okay, yeah. Because why have her, why have that be yeah. in there, the whole thing of her putting on the that, makeup yeah, and stuff? That completely makes sense. She's standing on the edge of the diving board, and it's shot in a way so it kind of looks like she's floating like a goddess. Yeah. And Ruby, like, walks down into the pool, so, like, Jesse is kind of above her. And Jesse now has fully given in to the Neon Demon, given in to this self-love, this narcissism. And she says, quote, Women would kill to look like this. They carve and stuff and inject themselves. They starve to death, hoping, praying that one day they'll look like a second-rate version of me. Wow. But she's oblivious to the danger. She has no idea that... In reality, she has lost her protector in Ruby. I'm not saying that she should have given in to Ruby's sexual advances, but yeah, she's just not aware. She's of given the herself into in this now. situation where her one thing that she had to offer Ruby was Ruby's sexual desire for her, and if she's not going to give in to that and be a part of this group. Because I do think that that's kind of what the offer was from Ruby. The other two aren't thrilled about it, but Ruby doesn't give a shit because we kind of decided that Ruby's in charge of this. Yeah. And so she's like, hey, if you want to fuck me, you can be a part of this group too. And Jesse's just like not feeling it. That's right. So now that she's lost Ruby as a protector, Sarah and Gigi already hate her. The trio presumably has decided now that they have to eliminate her because she's just a problem (laughs) yeah she's taking their jobs sarah and Gigi show up in the house and attack jesse they chase her with knives well it's weird in the lead up to this because i don't know what the plan was from the trio because at first she's just like standing on the diving board completely vulnerable but like ruby just lets her walk inside after a whole diatribe about how great she is yeah, well, maybe she was waiting for Sarah and Gigi to get there, and she didn't know they were there. Yeah. Because they're in the house. I do, I do think that part is, like, it is, like, a sudden change, though, in, like, the demeanor of, like, the scene and everything, because she's kind of walking away, feeling high, and she walks in the house, and... She sees, I think, Gigi, Gigi and yeah. she says, or what, what is are we, so having, are we having a, a party? party? And then Sarah, just out of nowhere, like, punches her in the face. Yeah, yeah. And then and chases like, oh, her... <laughs> Jesse picks up a knife. They have knives. They're chasing her around. They eventually corner her outside up against the empty pool. She's focused on Gigi on one side, Sarah on the other, and she doesn't really pay attention to Ruby approaching from the front, who ends up being the one who pushes Jesse into into the empty empty pool. pool. Which, the first time we saw this, I was, like, shocked. I I didn't really see her being killed this way. Her legs are all broken and bent up. She's unable to move. It's probably like a fatal injury or, at the very least, a paralyzed vegetable It doesn't look good, yeah. The trio descends upon her with the knives. We don't really see what happens until the smash cut where it seems like Ruby's still, like, bathing in the blood itself while the other two are, like, showering it off, I think. It's weird, though, because the way it looks is the water coming out of the shower. Yeah, it's hard to really even tell... 
I wasn't even sure it could have been water in the bathtub, and that's how red it was. But she's got yeah. blood like on all over her face and R- stuff. And right. She's it not, seems like, like a lot of blood. It, it it looks like a lot of blood. So the girls, the witches, the three of them, they yeah. real ritualistic eat her and bathe in her blood. I do like that Sarah and Gigi choose to shower together. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Later, Ruby is topless, walking around, like, watering flowers and shit. All sorts of weird tattoos. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen her. She wears long sleeves a lot, and she's always wearing clothes, obviously, so we didn't see this. I think these are supposed to be, like, occult tattoos on her body. She has, like, black tattoo rings around her nipples. Which is really weird. It is, yeah. And she's, like, spraying off the blood, I guess, like, in the pool that's still there. And then a very, like, odd little moment that I'm not even really sure what it means or, or what, where she just lays in Jesse's unmarked grave among the rose bushes. And she's just kind of, like, chilling. Yeah. It's, is that supposed to be, like, she's still kind of feeling Jesse and just, like, wants to be near the remains that they're burying? Or, like, what is that? Like yeah, she's sort I of don't just, know. I don't know. It's, like, you could think of that as just, like, well, she dug this to, like, bury the, the skeletal remains or whatever is left. And then she's, like, taking a break. But it's just such this – she's topless still and she's laying in the grave face down and I don't. I didn't know what to make of this. Smoking, so, yeah, I think. Anything you have to – offer here i'm open to just sort of uh, enjoying it i guess i think that the fact that they bury whatever's left of her like on the property is evidence that this is her house that she's not house sitting yeah or that this is somehow like the coven's place to live i I don't know what it is but it doesn't seem likely that there's people coming back to this residence no later that night is another insane scene just the bravery of Jenna Malone in this movie, the expulsion of the blood. It seems to be coming from her vagina. Yeah. It's the completion of the ceremony. I remember just being like, what? Yeah. Like she's okay, consumed this blood and up. now expelling it from her body. But it's not like she's throwing it up or shitting it out or even pissing it out. It's like almost like a menstrual. That's the way thing. I was taking it. Yeah. And I guess if you were looking at this as like a metaphorical thing, and Jesse's not literally eaten by people. It's right. like she's been consumed by this industry. She's lost herself. She's no longer this. Innocent. I get it, it, the idea of the and cycle. And this is the cycle right? starting yeah, like, again. And it's just going to. There keep, will be more right. and more to bring. And that also, I guess, is how you could be like, well, maybe Ruby is immortal. She's been doing this a long time. Yeah. She actually is younger because of doing this or something. I I don't know. There's a lot of different theories you could throw out there. Sure. So the end of the movie is a nice little. add-on afterthought yeah sarah accompanies Gigi on a job sarah is calm apathetic Gigi though looks worried she's losing it yeah yeah she has that look on her face like when they're doing the makeup and that's whenever Gigi's like not as experienced that's that's the thing i don't know how long these two i mean like ruby is clearly a seasoned pro yes but these other two it's hard to get a read on all right well let's get there okay please that's like when the one girl's like, did you ever have a girl fuck you over for a job? And yeah. Sarah's like, yeah, and what do you do? I ate her. And that's like when Gigi makes that face. Yeah, right. You're like, okay, she is not feeling this the same way. No, no. Sarah is just like completely Yeah, now she's dead drunk with power. Jack from earlier is the photographer. Jack ends up firing the other model and hires Sarah on the spot, which – Kind of suggests that something worked. Yeah, something right. Something changed because she was 
being overlooked before. Yeah, and so now all of a sudden it's going to be there's a glow. Sarah and Gigi doing this. Gigi is unable to deal with what's happened, with what they've done, and she freaks out in the middle of this thing, and she runs off like sick. She runs into like another room, and she throws up an intact eyeball. Yeah, just shocking the audience. And Sarah follows her in there, and Gigi's like, I need to get her out of me. And she stabs herself oh, no. in the stomach with scissors and then like drags them up. And she dies very quickly. I mean, it's a very movie death. I don't think you would be dead that fast from doing that to Yeah, yourself. but thankfully they move on. I'm just like, okay, I don't need this to last. And then Sarah, relatively unmoved, picks up the eyeball that she's vomited and eats it. And that's basically the end of the movie. I, I noticed on the 4K thing... <laughs> dun, 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 that Sia song You can see, in. like, I could never really see this before, but there's a line of drool coming out of Sarah's mouth before she eats the eyeball, which oh, makes man. it even grosser. But then she also has a tear that comes out of her eye. What do you think that's supposed to mean? I don't know. Like, there's still a little bit of humanity left. Wow. She maybe had some feelings about her friend, Gigi. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to say. Maybe she doesn't want to do this anymore, but it's just she's compelled. So, I don't know. It's my like raw. It's just like they just can't stop eating people. <laughs> yeah. My theory on Gigi's inability to, to handle this is... At first, I thought it was because of the plastic surgery. I was like, she's artificial, and... Oh, it's rejecting the natural... And she was like the natural beauty. And that is like a viable theory. I mean, it it makes just as much sense as anything else. But I also was thinking, like, it's possible since Sarah is supposed to be like the seasoned model, like the older one, like the fading beauty, and Gigi's like a little bit newer, that maybe this is the first time they've actually done this with Gigi like that's Gigi joined up with them it was you know they gave her the pamphlet it was explained to her what was gonna need (laughs) this is what we do she was on board and then like at some point like the actual act of doing it she just like could not handle it right that's the way it feels but her like reaction is so physical that like that's what made me think there was like the rejection where she's well that's true I mean that makes sense too but you're right I mean the other theory would hold up too because it's like like Jesse sort of besting her or whatever like that it feels like this is the first time that's happened to her yeah so it seems like she could be a rookie so yeah there's two ways to view the movie like the literal which is the more fucked up way i guess that everything we're seeing on the screen is what's happening and there are these witches and everything and then the metaphorical is obviously that this is all standing in for yeah what happens to people sucked up into this industry it's one thing when you keep it to just a metaphor of like the fashion and modeling industry or whatever specifically like within the los angeles area and like what goes on with these groups of people but like when you even start taking it even further to the idea of social media and everyone pursuing this star yeah it's a dark outlook at least in the modeling world, they're offering beauty. That's true. With like these influencers on Instagram or YouTubers and all this shit, it's like they have literally nothing to offer. Well, that's true. <laughs> Just devoid of any talent and not pretty enough to be models. Okay, there you go. Some of them are pretty, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Not pretty enough. <laughs> not models, though. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Big commitment from... Jenna Malone, first and foremost, in this movie. Sure. Just she is a insane trooper. Insane scenes yeah. to shoot. But everybody's game. Everybody sort of goes for it. Yeah. This does, the movie does feel like sort of a, like a modern version of a Kubrick movie, you know? It's like cold and psychological. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I don't know that people would give it the credit for being that, but I, I mean, I think it seems like, you know, it, it, the polarizing reaction at Cannes is basically how it was perceived by everybody, it, it, which I think is is not necessarily bad. I think if you have a movie that it, it inspires people that love it and people that hate it and they're all passionate, <laughs> you know true. what I mean? Yeah. I think Refn has sort of made a career of that where he has like the people that respond to what he's doing and then the people that don't like it at all yeah but it definitely makes an impact on people like absolutely sort of the crazy ideas, i dare you to watch this and not be impacted the violence or the just like the fucked up shit in it is this like his most fucked up thing oh i don't know about that eh. i would say some of the stuff in too old to die young is worse it feels like to me yeah i don't know it's hard to say i mean the corpse fucking That's scene true. is so... I guess maybe I'm just thinking, in terms of violence, this isn't his worst movie. No, no, it's not his most violent, but I mean, I'm thinking like in just... You're a, right, yeah. Like how maybe f- an like, overall idea that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the eating of the people, then throwing it up, and then like stabbing yourself in the stomach. You know what, and then you're the right. girl eating the regurgitated <laughs> oh, eyeball. Okay. Yeah, okay, he is pushing the envelope a little and bit. And it all ends with a cool Sia song, and that's it. That's right, yeah. And we move on with a lot to think about. So this episode was super long. Let's do recommendations real fast. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. My recommendation is Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, wow. The original yeah. Robert Stack episodes. You can watch them on Prime. I basically have watched I know, I did almost the too. first three seasons. I was just putting on random episodes now, which I, I kind of, like, in retrospect, I wish I would have just started watching Well, it's great if you go because... in order, but, like, you, since they do the updates in the episodes themselves, like, they'll go back and re-edit the original episode, then you don't have to watch them in order because... Okay, yeah. If you were watching them week to week, you would only see like a new update on a new episode because, you know, if they aired it for the first time, it's yeah, not like right. they had the update in the episode. Um, but now, like, they have the updates. Some of them are great. It's weird how much your opinion changes from like when I was a kid, like a little kid and watching yeah. these. And I loved like all of the paranormal, supernatural Same. stuff. And now it's like those when they go into dumb. those things, yeah. I'm like, get out of here with right. this shit. Yeah, because there's like nothing that can hold up from them. Well, yeah, it's like, well, there's not going to be an update. Yeah, right, Oh, big yeah. update. Bigfoot is real. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I will say some of that stuff is still like that. Even with how much time is removed, some of the things they do a good job. Like, it's still like creepy. Yeah, I like anything that's like a disappearance or like an unsolved crime yeah. and shit like that. There's some like unintentionally hilarious stuff that I'm not going to get into now because I don't, I don't want this episode to be way too long. But the original Robert Stack episodes are awesome. I never saw the comeback with Dennis Farina. They did like two seasons of that. I've never no, seen I've it. No, I've never seen that either. Not interested. But the new version of Unsolved Mysteries is coming to Netflix on July 1st. Wow. Who's it's hosting from the- that? Uh, no host, oh, okay. which I think is a mistake. Yeah, I do too. Hopefully they use the same music or else I'm not really sure what oh, they bought. Yeah. Like when what, I was a kid. What is the reboot if you don't use the music? Just Why like not just call it something else? Robert Stack walking down the dark streets with like the street lights behind him and like the yeah. fog. I was like, this is terrifying. <laughs> just he was that. most known for playing Elliot Ness in like the TV version of The Untouchables. 
but for me he had a and scary for, like, voice. younger people, he was mostly known for Unsolved Mysteries. He died like, I don't know, 2002, like a long time ago. So they're not doing a host on the new Netflix ones, which I think is kind of a mistake. But if they make them compelling and interesting, it could be like Joe a Bob fun Briggs. thing where everyone gets obsessed with it, like Making a Murderer or Tiger King. You know what I mean? Like if if these are fun to watch, it could be like one of those things where like everybody's talking about these weird mysteries. Yeah. Well, the best thing about like when it was on back when it was on is just like the lack of people's ability to go look this stuff up yeah you know what i mean there was just like so much material out there now like everybody knows about like everything when i was a kid and i mean this is like an old joke i mean i'm not doing anything like original here i don't want to give people that impression but i feel this exact way and so i feel like this relates to what we're talking about it's like when we were kids you really thought that the Bermuda Triangle and quicksand and shit like that was going to factor into your life like way more than it ends up factoring. <laughs> yeah. It's like shit that you never think about and has nothing to do with anything. Yet when you're a kid, you're like fascinated with this stuff. That's and true, you yeah. think Loch Ness Monster is like a legitimate threat in your life. That's right. Yeah. And then you find it's like no one even talks about this shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I was obsessed with Unsolved Mysteries and like In Search Of, which was an older show with Leonard Nimoy as the host. It was like from the seventies, I think, but I saw like reruns on cable and that was much more paranormal mysteries, like yeah. your standard shit. But also like, is this, I was joking with some friends of ours and talking about on, uh, in search of, and I was like, an episode would be like, is this ancient Bloom cursed, you know, like shit like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. And then they would talk about like Bigfoot or UFOs or whatever. But yeah, on Amazon Prime, you can watch all of the old Robert Stack yeah. episodes. They start in like the late 80s and then go through like most of the 90s. The ones that are updated are so great, though. So happy sometimes. I love like also like the long lost siblings and stuff that get like separated when they're kids and then they like find each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm th- the amount of times that I've Tears. just been bawling yeah. watching these. <laughs> I like, get it. there'll be some sad story about, like, some woman that, like, when she was a little kid, like, her parents, like, beat her up all the time. And so she was, like, in foster homes. And she, like, spent one year with this foster family that showed her what real love was and basically <laughs> taught her, like, what parents should be and could be. And then she gets separated from them. And then, like, you know, as they're, like, ramping it up, I'm like, if there's not an update to this, I'm going to fucking lose it. <laughs> And then they'll be like, it's all like Robert Stack always drops it on those updates and he'll be like, it's always like within minutes of this airing, we got a call or whatever. And you're just like, fuck yeah. yeah. And then some, the best was one time he goes, before this episode even aired, this person wow. saw the preview. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's and awesome. those, those like reunions are always great. It's yeah. such a great time. And I'm excited for the new one, even though it'll probably be a letdown. It's like yeah. from the people that do stranger things. That's why it's like a Netflix thing. Okay. Well, Hey, so unsolved Here's mysteries, hoping. what's yours? Actually, another thing streaming on Amazon prime, like neon demon, Amazon studios, I think it's a 2019 movie blow the man down are you familiar with this no I'm- it's a, it takes place in a coastal town in maine a subject that i enjoy that we enjoy I would oh say. yeah you know what i did uh, see a commercial for a this. sister it's two sisters one murders a man and the two of them cover it up i enjoyed it the first half of it i liked a lot more than the second half of it but 
it's pretty cool. It's definitely unique and, and pretty well done. I mean, some of the stuff is a little obvious and by the numbers, but overall, I liked it. Uh, written and directed by two females, actually. and Two females? Yes. Uh, two, uh, two chicks. Two women. <laughs> as I would say, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, but I, I actually... In watching those unsolved mysteries, they they a lot of times at the beginning of the episode do an Amazon Prime commercial. And I I have seen the trailer for this a few times. Yeah, I I liked it. Okay, what was that called again? Blow the man down. Okay, so two Amazon Prime recommendations. This episode sure. has gone way longer than we thought, so we'll wrap it up here. Thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed and telling people. Hopefully, we'll just keep going week to week. I think that's the plan. And so we'll talk to you soon. Two hearts, twin pies. I was your lover. Cores, broker. You became another. I'm with the enemy in my back when the voice in my head tells me.
is one country that worries me, though. Not Iraq, not Iran, not North Korea. The only country that really worries me is uh, the country of Germany. I don't know if you guys are history buffs or not, but... Uh, <laughs> In the early uh, part of the previous century, Germany decided to go to war. And uh, who did they go to war with? The world. <laughs> it had never been tried before. And uh, so you figure that would take about five seconds for the world to win, but uh, no, it was actually close. And uh, Germany decides again to go to war, and again it chooses as its enemy the world. <laughs> and this time they have that guy, Schrankly, Schrankly, that guy. And I'm not even going to dignify him by saying his name, but I think you know what I'm talking <laughs> But you'd think at that point the world will go, listen, Germany. Here's the deal, you don't get to be a country no more on account of you keep attacking the world. I mean, what, do you, what do you think, you're Mars or something?